Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all boldness that we may present them mature in Christ. And to that end, we pray, may the word of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This Advent season, y'all, we are taking a break from our regular series in 1 Corinthians using the last grand statement that we read there as an outline for us. 1 Corinthians 6, 11 says this, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, You were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God. Such were some of you, but you were washed and sanctified, as Pastor Warren exhorted us the past two Sundays. And so furthermore, you were justified. In Advent, we remember the coming of Christ, and today we remember that Christ came to justify So to that end, we're going to be preaching out of another letter from Paul, the book of Galatians, chapter 4, verses 4 and 7. Galatians 4, 4 through 7. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And so you are no longer slaves, but sons. And if a son than an heir through God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I wonder what you hear when you hear the word justification. Maybe something gospel-defining, excuse-making, hair-splitting, boring, theological, something-something. What about celebration? Rejoicing. Woo. Yeah, okay, well, probably not. All right. My end in this sermon, Lord willing, shall be to move us to joy at justification. Joy befitting guilt-clearing, sin-subduing, death-destroying, gift-giving, sonship-securing grace of God our Father, through the Lord Jesus Christ, our brother. So we'll begin by walking through the passage. But when the fullness of time had come, it's ready? It doesn't look like it's ready. It doesn't look like it's done anything. I might say that looking at dough in the proving drawer. You might say that looking out on the world. 
Yet God looked onto the world some 2,000 years ago and said, the time has come. It's ready. I learned once about samurai swordsmiths, how they taught their apprentices over the many centuries that they made swords, how to remove the steel from the flame at just the right time. They didn't use formulas because they didn't have them. Instead, they did it by color with things like how the summer sun shines on the high mountain, which is unintelligible to me. I don't know what that means. But they knew it intimately. A skilled craftsman, they know just the right time to strike. Skilled farmers can pick up the germ of wheat in their hand and smell it and know the time to harvest, right? Skilled doctors can hear and see a woman and know it is the time (laughs) to deliver. How much more our God, the creator and sustainer of all things, did he know just the right time to deliver? The right time, the fullness of time. Fullness implies readiness. Readiness implies a plan. Before time, before the foundations of the world, God had a plan. And he had prepared for it patiently. And so what did he do? In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. At just the right time, God acted. He sent forth his son, not some conscript, not some obliging servant, not even an angelic messenger. No, God sent forth his very son, which is to say he sent forth his very self. Before he was Jesus of Nazareth, he was the very son of God. Eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made of one being with the Father. Did you hear that in the creed? You should pay attention to the things you're saying, right? You might hear them later. There they are. Through him all things were made. Before he was made of woman, that is a son of man, before he was made under the law, that is a son of Israel, he is the son who made all things. The triune Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is three in one. And the Son is one with the Father, the same will, the same desire, the same love. He was sent forth in that he is the word of God, eternally begotten, but he went forth. He went forth because he wanted to. So God sent forth his son, born of woman. Though none of us can remember it, all of us have experienced the messy trauma of breaching the womb. Entering the world, gasping for air and grasping for our mothers. And so too, the second person of the Trinity, the eternal Son of God. And he remembers it, which is wild. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. Just as the Spirit of God hovered over the waters in creation, bringing life out of nothing, So the same spirit hovered 
over the virgin, bringing life out of nothing. Not only inside her did the maker become made, but of her, of her very substance, as the fetal child grows from the DNA of its mother, so the Son of God grew with bones and organs, flesh and blood, sharing with us entirely in our humanity. Yet there was no sin in his conception. It was not the will of man, husband or otherwise, that determined his timing, his identity, his worth. No, it was his Father in heaven, God the Father Almighty. And we're not talking crudely, like some Greek myth, but mysteriously, graciously, God filled Mary purely with and by grace that Jesus might be fully God and fully man, yet without sin. So in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law. He who was without sin willingly subjected himself under the law. By this, Paul means Jesus' perfect obedience and good life his keeping of all the regulations of Israel, especially being circumcised in accordance with Moses as a son of Abraham, his being baptized by John for the forgiveness of sins to fulfill all righteousness, in his suffering, convicted and condemned as a wrongdoer upon a cross, and in his very human mortality, condemned to die as all fallen mankind. In all of these ways, the Son of God lived under the law. He who warned of the deadly consequences of sin and himself pronounced the death sentence for sinfulness subjected himself to that very death and that unjustly. Why? <laughs> Why? Why subject yourself to all of this? We would ask any friend the doctor who leaves her flourishing practice to foster traumatized children, or a star athlete who might go overseas to coach children in slums, right? Or the person who drives the speed limit and stops fully at stop signs, though no one is around, right? You don't have to do this, we might say. You of all people, you of all people, Lord Jesus, you shouldn't have to do this. Why are you subjecting yourself to all of this? Well, the apostle tells us why. Verse 5. To redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born under woman, born born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that they might receive adoption as sons. God subjected himself to all of this for us. There was no other way. God went forth incarnate in our nature, incarcerated to our law, of sin and death, because that's where we were, because that's where we are. 
He loves us and gave himself for us to be like us that we might be like him, to be with us so that we might be with him. That's why. As I prayed and pondered this reality this week, it's the parable that Jesus told of we might call the prodigal son or the compassionate father that kept coming to mind. And so I want to use this parable to illuminate this reality. So if you'd like, you could turn to Luke 15 in your scriptures or you could hear it as I read it out loud to us. But this is from Luke 15, starting in verse 11. And Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And so the father took his property and divided it between the two sons. Not many days later, the younger son gathered up all that he had and took a journey to a far country and there squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, but no one gave him any. And when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against you and heaven. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And so he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion toward him. And he ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And the servant said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf 
because he has received him back safe and sound. And he became angry and refused to go in. So his father came out and entreated him. But the son said to his father, look, these many years I have been with you, I have served you, I have never disobeyed your commands, yet you never even gave me a young goat to celebrate with my friends. But when this, your son, comes, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you kill the fattened calf for him? And the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. The word of the Lord. We're going to use this as a gloss for our reality, shall we? There was a man who had two sons. There was a father, God the Father Almighty, who had two sons, Adam and Jesus. You might think Adam was the firstborn son of God, and in a sense, he is. God created him. He's the firstborn of mankind here on earth. But the mystery is this. Before Adam was made, Jesus was eternal. Before Adam, Jesus was. Adam is the created son, Jesus the eternally begotten son, in whose image Adam is made. Jesus is the very image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, Paul tells us in Colossians. The true firstborn son, the true older son is Jesus, the son of God. Adam, in fact, is the younger of the two. The younger son was given his property by the father and was even blessed by him who said, Adam, be fruitful and multiply. Go and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over your inheritance. Behold, I have given everything into your hand. Sound familiar? But not long after... Adam took all that he had and squandered it in reckless living, spending away everything to that harlot of sin and creditor of death. He grasped for more than his right, exchanging the perfect abundance of paradise for momentary pleasure and for what? A fallen condition in a far-off country. And in his fallen condition, he hired himself out, not only him, but all his family that is us after him. All of us now enslaved to the citizen of that country, that is, the deceiver himself, the devil. And so Adam and all us after him are trapped, cursed to corruption, servants of sin and slaves to the fear of death, and none would give us anything to eat, nothing to satisfy us truly, no earthly utopia, no lasting peace, no hope of restoration, but perishing here on earth. 
That's how our situation is diagnosed in the scripture. Wretched creatures that we are, who will deliver us from this body of death? Thanks be to God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Jesus, the true elder son, the better older son, indeed eternally was always with the Father, and all that the Father has was his. But friends, he does not scoff at us. He did not scoff at his brother's departure, nor did he pout at his brother's return. But rather this son, Jesus our Lord, one with the Father's overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love, went forth to get his estranged brother and his enslaved children and to retrieve us, rescue us, restore us, redeem us to the Father by redeeming our indebtedness and corruption that indeed we might receive back the adoption of sons, resurrected princes and princesses of an eternal kingdom with eternal life. He is a much better older brother. Our Lord Jesus, Paul reminds us in 2 Corinthians, though he was rich, for our sakes he became poor so that by his poverty, we who were poor might become rich. Poverty is tragic to witness. Whether in the face of someone who has known nothing but want and suffering, whether it's self-afflicted or otherwise, whether we see it in ourselves or in our neighbors, how much more tragic is it to see it in the face of someone who has known fullness and peace those starving alone who have known what it is to feast with friends, those who are abused who have known what it is to be hugged and loved. How much more still, he who alone was innocent of all transgression to be condemned to die. Is there a greater poverty than he who is eternal life and blessedness to suffer a torturous death that did, he did not have to? Yet that's what the Son did to bring us back to the Father because he desired to. See, no one comes to their senses on their own. But Jesus came to us. Jesus comes to us. For as Paul says in Romans, for while we were as enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son and justified by his blood. Much more then, now that we have been reconciled to the Father, shall we be saved by his life? More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. We rejoice with the Father as adopted sons, with one another as adopted brothers and sisters, with all of the creation as adopted heirs, sons of glory, crying, Abba, Father. And so back to Galatians 
chapter 4, verse 6. This is what Paul says. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So then you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. We're already living in the story. All of us. All of us are by nature sons of Adam and cursed. That's not a reality that we get to choose. It's one we either realize or we don't. The question is, would we become adopted sons of God through Christ? Do you want the adoption of sons? The son has already come. The spirit of his son has already come. And the spirit says, come. (laughs) Come, will you come to your senses now that I have come to you and receive me and my promises? Will you receive the way out? Out of death and into eternal life? Come on. That's what he says. You could put the question like this. Will you live in this far-off country of death as if nothing's wrong, resigned to the nature of things, perishing nihilistically and vainly without hope? Or will you go with the sun? Will you stay where you are, wallowing stubbornly, afraid of death or ashamed of yourself, angry at God, longing for another place, but refusing to believe in one? Or will you go with the sun? Will you just try hiring yourself out to another one in that country? There's plenty of masters and plenty of pigs. You could find another guru, another spiritual practice, another self-help book, another Twitter feed, another politician, who will make plenty of promises to free you. They'll make this better, surely. Or will you go with the sun? Let us not to presume, let us not presume to go back on our own without the sun, as if everything is cool. We cannot just waltz ourselves back into the house of the Father, unannounced, unjustified, and unreconciled. That would be ignoring the issue. And we all know, as we enter into this family gathering season, what it is to ignore the issue. Right? No. We must go in with the Son. and no other way if we are to retake our place in the kingdom as sons. And please, let us not perform our way in. Don't presume and do not perform, as if you have to earn your place back by giving your most heartfelt and cringeworthy sob story full of servile promises with a cherry on top. Do you know what that's like? Do not try to justify yourself before God. That's what I'm saying. The younger son tried that, and it didn't work. Justifying ourselves is really for our own conscience anyway, and it's not a very good strategy. Did you see what the father did? 
he ignored the son. He turned to his servants and told them to bring the best robe. See, the young father didn't even seem to hear him. He was so excited and glad. Do you believe that the father is excited and glad? The father is excited and glad. Remember, he saw you a long way off. Remember that the father sent his son for us. He's already been expecting us. He's already been preparing a place for us. He's already forgiving us, already making all things right, already having justified us. There is nothing left to earn. There's only an inheritance to receive, an invitation to receive, a joy to enter. Trust your brother Jesus on this, please. God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. What do you imagine that this sounds like? In conclusion, what does this sound like? You know, when the couple kisses at the end of the ceremony, when your boy's shot beats the buzzer for the win, when daddy deployed overseas surprises her on her birthday, it's like those sounds overwhelming joy, celebration. That's what the brother heard when he drew near the house, music and dancing, and he asked, what in the world is going on here? And though Christ already knows what's going on here, it's his party after all, he planned it. He still wants to hear the music and see the dancing. For the joy set before him, he came to us. And in his joy, we can now celebrate. And for the fullness of his joy, we wait this Advent. It is fitting to celebrate and be glad, as the Father says. And so I leave us with this question. Will people hear Christians celebrating? Rejoicing, rejoicing in our adoption as sons of God, our inheritance of the kingdom, our sure hope of eternal life. Celebration is fitting. As we rejoice that the sun has come and will come again. Because of him, we were lost and now we are found. We were dead and are alive again. And we will live again. So let celebration be others, an invitation to others through us. Crying, Abba, Father, welcome home. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.